Hey, welcome to VG Empire episode 29. This is uh, all about classic shooters, 2D shooters for Super NES. Uh, specifically, as we heard coming in, was Axelay or Axelay? 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 Um, another trait of those shooters back in the day. Uh, weirdly impronounceable names or nonsensical names. Uh, in this case, Axelay, I believe, is the standard way to pronounce it, but um, really cool 2D shooter for Super NES, and it kind of kicks off the look at three shooters from that time period. And what's weird is, once upon a time, shooters were the games that kind of defined the console. You would put out a, a 2D shooter, and shooter in this case does not mean first-person shooter or third-person shooter. Back in the day, it meant like a 2D side-scrolling ship against a billion other ships, one hit and you die kind of thing and that's what shooter was and back then shooters were the game that kind of showed off what a new console could do or maybe new arcade hardware like the number of enemies you can fit on a screen the size of the boss at the end of the level the visual effects for the different weapons you get and as you will find from this episode the caliber of the music you could create it was just all around for 8 16-bit era even 32-bit to a degree it was uh here's what the system can do here's how far we can push it and kind of went away once 3d worlds kind of took over and to this day, the, the shooter genre is kind of almost like completely left alone to like PC indie games or freebies or, you know, not not as prominent as it was. But this episode is kind of meant to give some pay some respect back to that that time period. Um, and again, these are just three samples. Uh, there's dozens of others that have equally good music and are like equally notable as far as his, for historical context. But I have a personal affinity for Axelay. Um, it was kind of the song that brought us in is uh, called Unkai. It's the first stage and like, and just a really visually rich game that took took advantage of the Super NES various hardware effects like Mode Seven and and in this case this entire level was based around this Mode Seven effect. So the the level would scroll beneath you, but it looked it looked completely different and it kind of looks hokey and weird. And in, in hindsight, it's it really looks like a, a like almost a player piano scroll kind of unfolding in front of you rather than like a, a terrain you're actually flying over. But it was interesting, at least. And this song, as soon as it starts, it just sounds really important and has this unique feel and look. And it's kind of the main theme of Axelay as overall and um, really a kind of inspirational music that in the moment you start the game, it just kicks it off with this this great like first impression. And... The rest of the game itself, again, you know, this is back when the, the games were a tech showcase, so in this case, this was showing off, here's stuff that Super NES can do that the Genesis can't, or can't do as well. And it also innovated it a bit in the sense that it wasn't one hit and you die, it wasn't die and you go back to the beginning of the level, it was your ship had like three different weapons you could choose from and you could switch between them on the fly, but each time you got hit with that weapon, that weapon was effectively damaged and that counted as a hit and that weapon was basically gone. So if you wanted, you could switch to another weapon in the in the, your, your three slots. Once your uh, weapon is damaged, if you get hit again while using the damaged weapon, your ship's destroyed. But your, your new ship just kind of flies out and takes the place of where it was. So, And it blows up with this really cool like disintegration effect. Like all these little pieces of the ship go. It's not this kind of like pew and little tiny explosion and the ship goes away. It's a really cool effect. Um, but uh, the game itself, very cinematic, very interesting even for the time period for for shooters and i think it's gone on to become something of a cult classic never got a sequel never became a franchise like other games in this episode but uh just about anyone who's playing shooters back in the super nes days like specifically remembers this game because it was uh rather intense and the opening is well we discussed those cinematic intros and uh, cinema cutscenes that ninja gaiden kind of pioneered that we talked about a couple episodes ago but uh, Axelay opens with one, and it has this, you know, kind of ominous, very serious take on um, what a big super alien invasion is like, and it just has this kind of humanizing moment where you're holding this locket with a picture of your family, and then the ship flies off to go save the day. But it was a little extra touch that most shooters didn't even bother. It was more like, hey, get in the ship and go fight the millions of evil aliens, and we will, we will be, we will be victorious. And instead, there was, hey, you have something on the line. We don't really know the character's name or the family or the history or the reason or where this is. You know, we know this is taking place in some other solar system or something. But the point was, that intro like helped set the stage and made it a little bit more interesting. It felt like there was something at stake um, in a small scale. It did not like make me want to keep playing because I wanted to see the story resolve. It was still I wanted to see the next stage. I wanted to see the next boss, and that was the the reason to keep playing. But it was a nice little touch. Um, so we'll go into a few songs. Um, oh, real quick, actually, this kind of points out another one of the like standard repeat uh, 
themes in every shooter of this time period. It's like you're always Colony X is putting all of its hopes in Fighter Y to stop evil Empire Z. And all of like you just replace nouns with for each game and you've described the plot in a very in some games a very specific sense and at the very least with Axel A a very general sense. Uh, this case, the evil bad guys are the Armada of Annihilation. Your ship is Axleas, of course, and it's the illest solar system. But that plot can then be echoed in the next two games in the episode and pick a shooter, and it's generally that Fighter Y is saving us from Bad Guy X to protect Colony Z. Uh, all the time. That's the only motivation you need, and it's always like, you're our last hope. Go, one ship we have left, and it will magically be successful in fighting down an entire armada. Um, anyway, let's jump into the music. The first song, uh, Colony. This is maybe my favorite song from the game. Um, it's, the episode, uh, it's from the second level when the game actually switches back to a normal left-to-right kind of 2D view of the of shooter. So it actually mixes up. So you go up and down some levels. You go left and right some levels. It kind of trades off every other level. Uh, which was kind of a neat, you know, it didn't, it helped change things up. It helped you see this ship from a different perspective to get a sense of like what it actually looks like instead of the top down view it makes it look like this really kind of squished, weird looking ship. So seeing it from the side lets you go, oh, okay, it, this does actually look cool. It's not this weird like spiky football. Um, but this colony song is like set to line up with events in the level because the level scrolls automatically to the right. So you, they can do that. They can set the song to hit high points when certain things happen. There's just like crescendo. The song hits right as this background scrolls and reveals the planet below. And it's just this really cool moment. And the music is kind of soaring. And it's, it's just like this nice moment um, that uh, you can only get when like you plan ahead and make sure the level scrolls just so. So it's not a dynamic thing. It happens the same time every time. But that first time you're playing it, as when I was, this was 92, so I was 11. It really, again, helped to solidify that sense of importance that was going on that, the, that that intro kind of set up. After that is the song Silence. It's a little slower. It's more about tension. As enemies start to surround you, it's, it's a pretty cool... Uh, I, I just like the atmosphere of this song. And speaking of enemies surrounding you, one of the unique weapons in this game is this weird like gun that starts shooting out from behind the ship, and as you hold the button down, it rotates... Back to the front of the ship. But it shoots 360 degrees. It's really hard to describe. Imagine like two arms of projectiles just shooting out the back and then rotating slowly towards the front. And then when you let go of the button, they start moving to the, towards the back. So like by holding and letting go of the button, you could get a pretty good area of effect around the entire ship, but they weren't very powerful. They could clear out small enemies, but beyond that, it wasn't much use. So that's why you would switch between your three weapons uh, that I mentioned earlier. Uh, the next song is Mother, which is the name, I think, of the system that you're actually... In Japan, they called it Mother... And here they called it the Illus Solar System or whatever. But uh, this is kind of a goofy, I don't know, you're like flying over this bright city because that's the name of the planet below is Mother. So you're right there, right on the planet's surface, kind of fighting and protecting it directly. But it's got all these garish lights and this music is just kind of like intentionally uh, Vegasy or silly. It just has this funky early 90s sound that I, I can't help but it just sounds 90s, and I'll use that phrase a lot in the show. Not just this one, but, like, throughout the whole history of the show. It's just, there's this sound that seems so, like, 1991 to me, and that song is it. And then we'll close out with XLA, which is Cosmos, which is the sixth stage. Um, just another good, you know, strong shooter piece of music. And we'll be back.
coming back in. Uh, Axelay again, uh, the composers, um, Taro Kudo, which is a kind of Konami mainstay, also uh, contributed to Super Castlevania 4, which I can't wait until that episode comes up. I've got an idea of how I want to handle Castlevania. It's its own saga in and of itself, uh, just for the music, and it's uh, really a challenging way to get all of Castlevania handled, but uh, I've got an idea, and uh, Castlevania 4 obviously is going to be part of that. Um, He was also a designer, and most notably, maybe not notably, but for your curiosity and trivia, freshly picked Tingle's Rosy Rupee Land for the DS, uh, that game that stars Tingle, and somehow that happened. Move on to the next game in the show. Uh, Can't have a show about classic Super NES shooters, and again, Genesis had plenty, even the NES had some, obviously, uh, as you'll see here, uh, Gradius 3. I was going to say NES began with Gradius back in early 80s, but Gradius 3 was a Super NES launch title, so it came out about a year, roughly a year before Axelay was a known quantity, because I already knew I already knew Gradius from the NES and Arcade, so it made me want to go, oh, here's a... It's kind of a common theme of the day, was here's a sequel, you already played it on the NES, here's a new one with, you know, some brighter colors, maybe a bit more detailed bosses, and that was kind of maybe the equivalent to an HD remake today, just seeing a new game that's like, I don't necessarily need a new, uh, a brand new game, but if you kind of remix the old stuff and just let me play the old one again, kind of how Super Castlevania 4 is more or less this semi-retelling of Castlevania 1, even though that's not a great example, because Castlevania 4 really does a lot of cool stuff, um, so that's maybe not the best example, but Gradius 3 kind of takes pieces that you already knew from Gradius, and Elaborates on some and uh, adds some new stuff as well, but uh, obviously the Super NES port specifically, kind of notoriously slow, had a problem with just a lot of slowdown. Didn't affect the music, but it definitely was a uh, not the way to play the game today. If you're going to go play it, there's PS2 version, and there's other ways to play it as well. Um, but uh, composer is a weird list. When I looked on Wikipedia for the composers for Gradius Three, it's like here's a huge list of names. None of them are actually in the credits when I let, when I watch the credits. So the credits of the game, uh, Kazuki Muraoka, Kazuhiko Uehara, and uh, Harumi Ueko, both of the last two were part of a Mystical Ninja for Super NES as well, which is another like Konami classic of the of the day. And uh, Yuki Morimoto was uh, otherwise known for Buster Bust Loose, which is another like example of a licensed game, Tiny Tunes in this case, being actually pretty good. Um, the Genesis, like Buster's Hidden Treasure, I think, and then Buster Bust Loose for Super NES are both actually pretty decent games. Um, not on the par of like DuckTales or Rescue Rangers, but they're both like surprisingly good because this is back when they would still put their top people on because they know our target audience is probably 12. That's who's playing games right now. That's who we're going to go after. So let's put the top people on this game and make a licensed game that is going to be like a must have. Um, and that's not entirely the case anymore obviously. But uh, anyway, Gradius 3. So it's a very uh, iconic classic series as far as 2D shooters goes. It's kind of the first and last name in shooters. It's not a bullet hell. It's not crushingly difficult necessarily like some of the aesthetic, like the genre has become, but definitely tough. And to that end was the introduction of the kind of legendary Konami code, the up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, start. That started with Gradius, and it would power up your ship and give you all the different power-ups it could get, and it would just give them all to you right away, which was, in itself, one of the unique things Gradius did, which has this power meter along the bottom of the of, of the screen, and it would say, like, you could pick up um, drops from enemy ships, and it would move, uh, like, say there's five slots on the bottom of the screen, and it starts, like, with speed up is flashing, so that's one of the things you can do, speed up. Now you pick up one pickup from an enemy, it moves that cursor up one on the power meter. So now you're at, let's say, I don't remember what the second one is, but missile, I think it is. So now you're not you're not highlighting speed up anymore. You're now highlighting missile. But now you pick up two more, so you move up two more notches on the power meter. And now you're at option, which is a weird word, but option are those little glowy orange balls that follow you around and just shoot whatever weapon you have. Uh, kind of another iconic thing about it, the Gradius series. But this whole notion of like needing to micromanage this meter at the bottom to choose what power-ups you want and customize your fighter like on the fly mid-battle was a really cool idea and obviously present in Gradius 3. But one of the things I always loved about it was the fact that there was a voice that would actually say the power that you get, which again today voice in a game is like not even a thing you acknowledge because it's pretty much ever since the PS1 days having speech in a game was a given. 
Um, but still in the Super NES day, it was still like, wow, this game has any voice at all. Even if it just says, like Street Fighter 2 saying fight was still a really cool, like, oh, neat, it said fight. That's a notable thing. Or Joe Montana Sports Talk Football, the fact that it talked at all was put on the box and part of the title. Um, and this is a game that whenever you would select something, it would say missile or option, laser. I actually tried to find a YouTube video with those words in it, and somehow the internet let me down, and nobody made a YouTube video that's just that Gradius announcer voice saying all those things, which to me is one of the key takeaways of the game. Um, rather than yammer on about Gradius, uh, it's, again, just a classic series, and uh, if you want to try a more of a modern take on it, there's Gradius Five for PS2. It's actually pretty good, made from Treasure, you know, the Gunstar Heroes folks, really cool game. I uh, played it back in, I guess, 04 when it came out. And I think I reviewed it for some site before I got into the, before I became like actual paid games journalist. I think I was actually just wrote it for some site back in the day. But it's pretty cool. It's worth checking out. Um, and in this case, keeping with the XYZ, you know, fill in a blank, uh, you are fighting the Bacterians in the Vic Viper and protecting planet Gradius. Uh, Gradius is weird in that it didn't really have much of a story, and then as the games went, they kept adding elements to the story and characters, and I do not follow that stuff, but uh, the music, as, you're, as you will find out, is quite excellent. And that's what I took from the game. So we'll start with Invitation, which is the screen where you select the loadout. It's the screen where um, there's different... You could change the power meter at the bottom, like here's, here's the components of the power meter, and you can select what power meter you're going to go into battle with. Um, and Gradius 3 actually let you customize it to a degree and make your own and rather than choose from some preset ones. Uh, but this inv- invitation music is this like inspiring and grand kind of introduction. And it, it makes you feel like even though you're a fighter going against insurmountable odds, it has this like motivational uh, aspect to it that makes you feel like you're going to win. And that immediately goes right into Departure for Space, which is this kind of like preamble area to every level of Gradius, there's this area in space. Before you actually get into the level proper, it's open space, and it's a chance for you to kill enemies and get get uh, pickups to move that power meter and get your ship powered up um, before you actually get into the new level. And this Departure for Space, uh, probably my favorite song from the entire franchise. And it's more or less the Gradius theme if you were going to pick one thing to represent Gradius. And after that, we'll do Aqua Illusion, which is this level with giant bubbles and probably the most notorious case of the slowdown happening with just too many things fill the screen. It just gets choppy and slow. Not even choppy, just slow. It doesn't drop frames or anything. It just moves like molasses. And uh, it's really sad because otherwise, a really cool game. There's just key moments where you're like, why is this happening? And then Fire Scramble, which is this gorgeous fire stage with these big flares moving around. Um, Really cool. But we'll do uh, those four songs and be back.
All right, moving on into Super R-Type, which is the next uh, game on the list. And again, a Super NES launch title. And this should show you how viable like the genre was. And today it's you know kind of a just total outlier. Rarely do you get a 2D shooter that gets any kind of acclaim or prestige or fanfare whatsoever. But there were two at launch for the Super NES. It was Gradius 3 and Super R-Type. And... Believe it or not, like Mario World did make me interested in the Super NES. I was definitely like, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog looked pretty alluring over there with this uh, cynical 90s attitude, uh, cynical from the point of view, from a marketing perspective. Like, I don't know, make him not be Mario and happy. Make, what if he had a bad attitude, that, which would go on to define much of the 90s, um, as covered in the Battletoads episode earlier, but um, which is just oozing the attitude. Uh it was actually Super R-Type. When I went over to a friend's house who got a Super NES like pretty close to launch, it was R-Type that I was like, wow, this is wow, this may be the thing I get for my birthday instead. Like I was thinking about getting a Genesis, but I may end up going Super Nintendo after all. Like Mario World looks cool, but I really like space and aliens and shooters and stuff in general, and this one just looks super awesome. And it was in no small part thanks to the music that I actually came to that conclusion. And I did weird things like... Near my birthday, I remember asking, like, I wanted a Super NES, and it came with Mario World, but I remember, like, begging, like, can I please get R-Type, can I please get R-Type, and doing, like, stupid things, like, I would leave the same issue Nintendo Power out around the house, like, open to Super R-Type, this, like, two-page story about the game, and just leave it open in my bedroom, in the kitchen, and just every time hoping my mom would pick it up and be like, yes, I get it, I get it, you want R-Type, shut up, and thankfully, it worked, not, she didn't get it, but, like, Family, friends, somebody, friend of the family, I guess the word got through. And I did it. I did. I was able to get it. So I ended up playing the hell out of it and kind of fell in love with all these songs as well. And our type is notable in that it's like, just like Gradius, you die, you basically go back to the beginning of the level. But our type is like literally the beginning of the level. And you have to do it all over again, one hit, and is just really, really tough game in general. Um, but like Gradius and every other shooter, there's always one gimmick, a bit to it, and all of them have something that differentiates them. It's Gradius, the power meter. Xlay is, uh, well, I guess it would be not just the visual, you know, mode seven scaling stuff, but also like being able to choose between slots of weapons and not like a well, also that you would take damage. I'm basically talking to myself at this point, but uh, always some differentiating factor. And for our type, it was uh, this force ball. It was this orange ball that would like change and grow as you went to the level and picked up different power-ups, but it would shoot bullets out of it itself. It would rest on the front of the ship and absorb. It could absorb bullets, a certain, you know, certain caliber of projectile. At a certain point, it wouldn't protect you anymore, but small bullets it would absorb. It could shoot it across the screen and it could reflect weapons around. It was just a very useful thing, but it was unique to, to our type. Kind of like an option from Gradius, but Rather than follow you and trail you, this one just hovered right in front of your ship. Or you could attach it to the back and shoot backwards. So it was kind of a cool, like, buddy thing that was floating around you at all times. And it felt like this home base, like an anchor for the stage. And you would never want to be very far from it. And if you didn't have one, you felt kind of naked without it. And, like, the, the purpose of it, it really made the game feel different from the other shooters. And, again, just to keep consistent with the other stuff, this is... The Bido Empire, which is a like race of bio weapons that we abandoned in space or something. Uh, you're fighting. You're fighting in the R9 Arrowhead, and you're saving 26th century Earth. So instead of bacterians or army or mode of annihilation, whatever, it's the Bido Empire. Like every shooter has this exact same. Like you're this thing fighting that thing to save this thing. It's it's. But well, it was always fun to know that stuff as a kid. Like you would want to know the difference. Like I know Bido and I know bacterians and I know that because. The, the, just the enemy design for every shooter was always so different. It was not like you play a shooter now, and by shooter I mean like FPS. It's like, here's a soldier. Is this a soldier from Call of Duty, or is this a soldier from whatever, a different other, another game like this? Like, I, it looks like a soldier. I don't know. But like these shooters, everything had to be so distinct. Like, there were so many that it had to look unique. You couldn't just make it be another brown, vague, uh, it's in some Middle Eastern country-ish thing or Eastern Europe. It's someplace there's a lot of brown stuff and dead trees everywhere. It's like, nope, can't do it. Every game has to look distinct. Every enemy, the ship, everything has to be discernible and differentiated on every level. And uh, just something else that I miss about that the genre. Just like a new shooter would come out and you could expect a certain level of familiarity. You would turn it on and Okay, I know I'm a ship, and I'm going to move around. I'm probably going to have a speed boost. I'm going to have like a bomb that blows up the whole screen. I'm going to have some stuff, some consistent stuff from game to game. 
that made it feel uh, you could jump in and start playing, but then there was always something else that was like, so that's the hook. And it was all about what game has the new hook. So things like Viewpoint and Lords of Thunder or Gates of Thunder or Gyarus or Thunder Force. There's so many. Or, or uh, God, what's it called? Or Darius. Like there's so many D-Force and Earth Defense Force and so many shooters you could name. They all do something specific. Um, but again, that has nothing to do with the music. So in this case, let's get back into the R-Type music, which the composer, I got Char- Charlie YK, Hia, and Hiroshi. And I didn't have much time left to dig into who those people are, but uh, well done, whoever you are. And uh, it's always just really bizarre when you try to find out who did something and just records from the era are so poorly kept or intentionally just obfuscated it's just hard to say uh, but we'll go into a few songs this is uh counterattack 91 which dates the game to a very specific year like the buffy episode slayer fest 98 or whatever like literally it's called counterattack 91 uh but very uh it's the second stage really really fast song uh upbeat like it has that super like it's hard to describe it that anime synth orchestra that was really prevalent in like the 80s and 90s anime. I would say like 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 Project Echo is what comes to my mind when the, when the spaceships the the whole like other angle of that show starts where it's before just like hey here's a girl that's super powered schoolgirl fighting another girl in a power suit. Hey, this is fun and grounded. I get it. And then all of a sudden it just turns into like literally like our type. There's just space, uh, giant capital ships in space, and all like it becomes a different movie completely. And the music it's playing is very much this counterattack song. Um, and I would say it's probably similar to like Robotech or Gundam, just that it's so anime type of uh, situation. But the music sounds like that too. Uh, as wet as a fish, which is a weird level with flying space fish and water and caves. And uh, just a great example of how the levels are never really meant to make sense. It's just you blow up the boss, your ship flies off the screen, and then you come back and you're somewhere else. Why am I here? In the infinite reaches of space, why did I fly directly in the you know, direct line that leads me to the boss. Why couldn't I approach from any other vector? Don't ask. Just just shoot the flying space fish and move on. So as wet as a fish, and then R dance, which literally is R dash dance. And as the name implies, a slow jam club song. Again, I'm going to say very 90s. Uh, obviously, a lot of the games that I grew up playing would be late 80s, early 90s, and the musicians would be inspired by the sounds of the day. So... When you listen to Streets of Rage and Outrun and that kind of stuff, that's very much the sound that kind of prevalent through games as well. And this is kind of in that in that style. And then Solo Sortie, which is the opening level. And this is this is this song and this level just like define the Super NES launch to me. It wasn't so much Mario World or F Zero, which I loved both of them, but this song for some reason really stuck with me. And it's like to this day, I would just play this level over and over again, partly because I would keep dying and have to just keep playing it over and over again. It was just too hard, so I'd just start over. Um, but just hearing this song every day for weeks, months, however long it was I actually played it. I, it feels like I played that game the whole time I had a super neat... Well, I still have it, but the just years of playing Super R-Type. And this song kind of defined it for me. So we'll go into those four and be right back.
yes, this just brings back uh, nonstop barrage of memories. And all, all three of these games just hit in the same time period, like 91, 92. So a great, a great sampling of not just like what the genre had to offer, but also just sound capabilities of the Super NES and how it was. It just made you feel like this generation, this is going to be really good. This this system is going to really kick it off. And I already, you know, already interested in like, Castlevania music, Mega Man music, but to know that like that that good music thing is going to persist and it was like forming my opinions of what I liked about music and about games and that I would pay, play a game solely to hear what kind of music it is and that became a thing. I would go rent new shooters just to find out if it had a good soundtrack and if it did, that would make me go, okay, well, I'm going to keep playing this, like Space Megaforce or something. I rented it only because it was a Super NES shooter. I'm like, surely it's got a good soundtrack and I don't remember. So there's a chance it didn't have a particularly notable one because I didn't keep playing it or I might not have been able to rent it again. There's, that's also a possibility. But, nonetheless, um, really sad to see this genre kind of fall off the face of the earth, for lack of a better term. I mean, things like Ikaruga and the bullet hell stuff kind of are what it became, and then it became known for just being crushingly difficult. And it was never easy, and it was never even, I would say, moderate. It was always difficult. But there's a point at which it just kind of crossed the line and became inaccessible. Like, why would I even play this anymore? When it used to be a quarter munching, I'll put one thing in, I immediately know what's going on, I don't need to know a bunch of complex systems, it's just a game with a shooter element in it and I'm gonna go to the right and shoot everything. And some games are better about it than others. And I actually like things like UN Squadron that add... Um, wow, now that I say that, I probably should have had that episode in here, huh? Well, plenty of games left for the next episode. Um, but rather than wax any more about this topic, I will uh, let us go. And when I say us, it's just me this time. So much like episode two, where I did the Super Adventure Island episode, uh, just myself this episode, VGEmpire.com. This is your host, Brett Elston. Thanks for listening. Um, sorry for the probably rushed quality of this episode. I kind of had to throw it together very quickly. I've been traveling a lot, and I'm going to be traveling much more in the next couple of months. Um, you probably would know why, uh, given the industry that I'm in between... It's just a big, heavy trade season between Gamescom and Comic-Con and then another Comic-Con and then PAX and uh, TGS. Just so many things going on that I, I be at. It's very hard to come in and like research a show, grab songs, then record it, then edit it, and make sure it goes up on time. So it's been really tough. But thank you for listening. And I get a lot of tweets and a lot of positive feedback. And it's just really, really inspiring and what makes me want to do this, even though it's sometimes very difficult to keep it going. But... Thanks for listening, and we'll actually go out with uh, something from the community. Um, this is Kick My Axe, which is a Axe remix um, from Overclock that probably one of the, not one of the first songs I downloaded, but definitely back in the day when I was downloading uh, Overclock remix songs every single day, like as they came out. I think I grabbed this one like the day it was released, and a uh, big Axe fan in general um, obviously loved this song. So we'll go out with this and this is from midi and prozax it's just a great mix of that first level that kind of actually brought in the show and I actually remember burning this to a cd when i worked at toys r us and like would put it on when i'd be in the back whether it's the storeroom or whatever whatever it was i'd be doing that i would not be on the actual floor working i'd be in the back room or back area and i'd make overclock remix cds and this song was like track one on like the third or fourth one that i made and just turn it on and like just immediately like ready to work ready to put this bike together unload this truck or whatever it is and it's just weird having like two different levels of nostalgia because this in 2002 this reminded me of playing the game in 92 and now in 2012 oh my god it's been 10 years uh now in 2012 listening to this song reminds me of being there and working and feeling you know kind of fuzzy memories about that so i now have nostalgia about nostalgia and that's officially approaching on sad so, see you next time.